Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's had a great weekend. Uh, so good to see you. Um, we already covered a little bit about baptism this morning, and so we do want to invite you back for that. Or if you want to be baptized, uh, you can follow the instructions that uh, Craig just gave you. I want to take you this morning to the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah is a very, very ancient book. It's only got four chapters in the entire thing. Um, it doesn't specify who the author is, although many believe it was Jonah himself. It is written in third person, but there's no reason for us to really believe that it was any other person uh, but, but him, just his personal uh, testimony. And so I want to go to this book, and whether you have been in church or you haven't been in church, you know this story. It is just one of the most iconic stories in Scripture. Um, we, we look at it, and sometimes we say, well, this is a fictional story. Sometimes we look at it and go, that's a literal story. And um, some people are kind of in between. They, they wane back and forth. And so um, no matter where you stand on that, this morning we're going to take a, a look at, at Jonah and pull out some biblical principle from it. Um, Jonah has about three big sections in those four chapters. It is God of the sea, God of the city, and God of the earth. And today we're just going to talk about one of those components, which is God of the sea. And so I want us to look at that. So if you have your Bible, go to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have it, we're just going to project it for you um, because you're a lazy Christian. No, I'm kidding. Um, the one thing that sticks out about me growing up is that uh, I, ha I had some great, great parents. But like any kid, there were these moments for me where I would manipulate my, my folks. And so um, the, one of the things that sticks out to me is how difficult that, that was at, at times. It's very challenging to manipulate them. Um, my mom's biological father was a very rough, uh, tough guy, um, and so um, very hard-heartened man. And so she grew up in that in her early years, and so was very difficult for her to be manipulated by her children because he had taught that to his family, and so she already learned this is what manipulation looks like, this is what it smells like, this is what it sounds like, and so it was very difficult for her children to manipulate her. My mom had zero problems pulling me over on the side of the road and whipping me in front of oncoming traffic. Um, it, there were even times she got creative and had me pick out the weapon of choice, as in go over there, find a switch. If you can't find one, I will use my shoe. So it, was, uh, it behooved me to find a switch. Um, there were times that I would tell my, my folks, hey, listen, I'm going to run off. I'm just going to leave. And um, I remember um, them sitting down with me and uh, talking to me about this and saying, listen, if you're going to run off and we aren't watching, there's a few things that you need to know, basically two things that you need to know. The first thing that you need to know is we've done a great job of protecting you from the dangers of the world. If you get out there, you're going to realize very quick how blessed you are. You're going to get hungry. You're going to get cold. You're going to be alone. Um, you're going to fall into a brand new system of survival, and that's going to be on you. And the second thing that you, need, you, that you need to know, and this is the biggest thing that you need to know, is we're going to look for you. We're going to find you. We will hunt you down. 
and we will spend the rest of our lives trying to find you because that's what we do. We love you, but if you choose to run off, we're still coming, okay? Now, I use that to set up the story of Jonah because I really believe in my heart of hearts that this is truly what the heart of the Father is for his people. He loves us. He's nurtured us. He's established us as his children. And he's telling us, listen, if you want to run, you can. That's the gift that I, I gave you is the ability to choose me or not choose me. But you need to know something before you, you run off. That there is a world out there that I have protected you from. That my hand is on you. And if you choose to leave from underneath my hand, you're going to discover a different life. But the second thing that you need to know is I'm, I'm coming after you. And I'll move heaven and earth to get to you. Because I'm your father, and I love you, and I'm coming. So if you run, run hard, run fast, do whatever you think that you need to, to do, but you better check your rear view several times in your running because I'm, I'm coming for you, and I'll spend the rest of eternity trying to find you. So there were zero problems with God and Jonah and him pursuing him. And so we have that same conversation with God, and I want to talk to you about this story. This is one of those stories where a lot of times as believers or even as skeptics, people go, aha, this proves that this story is fake. There's no way that a fish, and in modern terms, we've translated it to well. There's no way a well could actually swallow a person, the person live in that belly of that well for three solid days and survive it. But you could if God's hand was on it. There's actually another case in modern history, circa 1890s. A gentleman by the name of James Bartley, he was a sailor. You've probably read about this. If not, go online and read it today and come up with your own opinion of it. James Bartley. He falls off the side of a ship called Star of the East. Of, of, of the East. And as he falls off, they're trying to get him, and he feels something beneath him. And the writings, of course, over 100 years old. He is swallowed up by what he calls a, a, a large fish. And the story goes that the next day in a different area, whalers kill the whale that has swallowed James Barley. And as they're cutting it open, they find him alive in there. He gets out, and he looks terrible, smells terrible, and um, he's blind for the rest of his life because of that experience. So in a nutshell, the story of Jonah is about this. It's about God's plan for a man's life, about God's love for a community, and then about, about Jonah's blatant disrespect and inability to buy into that love for this, this community. And I need to tell you a little bit about Nineveh. We think of this city and we go, well, why would he not want to go to it? So let me just give you a little bit of history. The people of God hated this city. The capital was Assyria, and they were a ruthless, sinful brutal people. 
they specialized in torture. When they got ready to kill someone or to go to war, they let creativity run wild. It wasn't just how can we kill these people, it was how can we do it creatively. What's the most crucial, um, gut-wrenching, traumatic way that we could end someone's life? And this thought process was established in them. When I hurt someone, I want to hurt them to the best of my ability. They hated this city. But the people of Nineveh were also brilliant. History and archaeology tells us that they invented the lock and key system. They invented a timekeeping system. They had paved roads, a postal system. They used iron. They had working plumbing and a very strong, well-organized government. And Jonah wanted no part of their repentance and God's love for them. He looked at them and said, there's no way I'm going to participate in you turning these people. I, I, I hate them. We hate them. And for you to send me makes me a scapegoat. My people are going to hate me. Nineveh is going to hate me. As a matter of fact, the only people who are ever going to see this as valuable, Lord, is you. I'm not going. Now, we have done this as Americans for many, many, many years. This mentality of hating a people group has been ingrained in us as well. In the 40s, it was the Germans. In the 50s, it was people of color. In the 60s, well, no one remembers the 60s. In the 70s, it was the Vietnamese people. In the 80s, it was Russia. In the 90s and the 2000s, it was the Middle East, specifically the Muslim community. Now it's North Korea. And it's easy for us to develop a hatred toward a certain people group. And to be clear, I'm not saying that America should be a pushover country. That's not what I'm, I'm preaching this morning. I'm just saying it's easy for us to fall into this mentality of always looking for an enemy, looking for someone to blame, looking for someone to project our angst against. But here's the shocking news. From what I can see and what you and I can read in Scripture, God loves everyone in the world even the people who we hate. So as Jonah looks on this city, says there's no way I'm going, no thank you, I'm not interested, God is ahead of him preparing this story of righteousness because he loves this community. He loves the people that you and I are against. We even see this in Jesus' teaching in the New Testament when he said, I want you to bless those that curse you. I want you to bless your enemies. I want you to pray over them. Why? Because he's saying, we love the soul of every single person on this planet. So Jonah is on the, on the run. There's a couple of things I want to learn from this today. When you are running from God, the first thing is this, the trajectory of your entire life changes. The trajectory of your entire life changes. And I want you to hear me this morning. 
Because you may be in this room this morning and you are running right now or you are on the cusp of it. You have given thought to it. You have tried to weigh out, does God really play that big of a role in my life? So if I run, what is that going to to look like? Let me give you a caution. The whole trajectory of your life is about to change. It's about to be altered whether you realize it or not. Let's go to Jonah 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to read today from the New King James. This is what it says. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want you to look at verse 3 very quickly one, one more time. And I want you, if you have your Bible, to circle the word down. Okay, because it's mentioned twice there. He says down to Joppa. And the New American Standard translation says he went down to Joppa, down into the boat. And this is not only indicating the physical direction of Jonah's life, but the spiritual direction of down, down. The whole trajectory is about to change for him. The scripture goes on and alludes to to this. He ends up going down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the water, down into the belly of this fish. The trajectory of his life continues downward, this downward motion, even though his actions are trying to segue and say, I've changed my mind, I want to make it right. The trajectory is changing. I believe the author, possibly Jonah himself, is writing, is communicating this with great intentionality. He is writing these words of down, down, down. So that as the reader, we get a visual of this motion. And so this stands as a caution for any of us. It may appear that your life is fine. You may say things are going great. You might be enjoying what seems to be a lot of freedom and a lot of prosperity. But I have to tell you that sooner or later, the direction of your life is going to be downward. Just as my parents warned me, if you're going to leave, I just want you to know that there's a life out there that we have kept you from, and you are knocking at the door of it. That same parental warning is coming from God. That there is something in your life that's going to be different. It's a spiritual principle. That sooner or later, the direction of your life will go downward. And it's not a principle that is in place to threaten you. It is a principle that is in place to remind you that God is chasing you. And he's turning things upside down to get his hand on you. Verse 4. Suddenly, the Lord flung flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to send them to the bottom. Again, there it is. How comfortable are we facing a life that's totally separated from God? It's a completely different experience. Hear me. If you face a storm and you're connected to God, 
versus facing the same storm and be separated from God. You can face the same exact storm, but the difference in the outcome is are you connected to God or not? It makes a big difference there. I remember as a kid, I had this fascination with tornadoes, and um, I, I, I liked them. I was mesmerized by their power, by the mystery of them, by not being able to put your, your hand on them, but see the outcome of it afterward. And my father and I would always kind of, as we had one in the area, we would stand outside like most men because we're dumb. And so we would stand outside watching, waiting, where is it? Let's see how long we can stand out here without dying. And we would stand outside and we would look for it and we would see the distance and we would, we would see the clouds changing and the temperature changing. And my sister and mom would be in the bathtub freaking out, praying, you know, um, taking communion, uh, rededicating their lives to God. You know, praying for the forgiveness of sin. Um, they, they were in there with cushions off the couch and stuffing pillows in the windows and all kinds of stuff that's proven to stop 300-mile-an-hour winds. And a few years ago, I was working in the city of Pleasant Plains. How many of you know where Pleasant Plains is? Yeah, I was over there working, and um, there was a tornado coming through. It actually touched down later and did some incredible damage. But I was with a friend, and, and um, we were just standing out, just, just watching it, watching the, the change. And it was something, there's something about being able to stand there and face a storm without, without fear. It gives you a, a different perspective of it. You almost find a, a beauty in it. As you look at it and see it as just nature revealing itself, rather than standing there like my sister and mother and being totally just frightened and captured by anxiety. And when we see a storm coming in our lives, this is exactly the same principle. You, you can be uh, in, in, in life seeing a storm coming, and because you're with God, you see it as something that's going to teach you and challenge you and grow you, and you're mesmerized by it, or you can be without God and be in complete and utter panic. And so this is something that Jonah, his, his position was in. And so let me give you a comparison of Jonah's separation just to give you a little bit of context this morning. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city. And Nineveh was basically 550 miles northeast. For us, that'd be like driving to Knoxville. He says, I, I want you to drive to Knoxville and just share this good news. And instead, he travels 2,500 miles southwest, which would be like going to Gibraltar. So it's like God saying, go to Knoxville and Jonah hitchhikes to Columbia. There's a huge difference in that, okay? Huge. In other words, for Jonah to get back to where God wanted him, instead of traveling 500 miles, now he has to go 3,000 miles to get back to the place that God had originally planned for him. I want you to hear this just, just a minute this morning. There's a biblical principle here because running from God is always harder than just obeying him. Okay? 
Running from God is always going to be more difficult than just an obedience of him. So the second thing this morning, your choices unintentionally affect those closest to you. Jonah gets on board this boat, and God sends a storm onto the water. And the other people become terrified. Their lives are in jeopardy. And Jonah tells them, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, listen, guys, this is not about you. It's about me. I don't know how many times in, uh, you know, over the years that I've, I've spoken with families or I've even fallen into this trap myself to where my life becomes so self-centered that I'm projecting this statement to the people in my life that this is not about you. This is about me. And, and we, we say that with our actions and our behaviors. So Jonah convinces them, listen, guys, this is, this is me. It has nothing to do with you. But the same people were standing in the same storm. And so because they're in the same boat, they are suffering too. And people will excuse their lifestyle, their choices, their addictions, their thought patterns, their sinful uh, behaviors, uh, and say, it's my life and I'll do whatever I want to. But what we forget is that our lives are enmeshed with each other. They're enmeshed with people who we love. You are enmeshed with your spouse. You're enmeshed with your children. You're enmeshed with people you work with. And sociology clearly tells us that if you are not in complete isolation off the grid, then you are enmeshed with someone. So people are affected by what what we choose or we don't choose. And when we sin, the consequences of that sin has tentacles, and it runs through and affects the people near us. Let me give you an example of this. I want to give you a a visual. It's kind of like holding a live grenade to your chest, and you jokingly saying, hey, I'm I'm not going to hurt anybody, okay? I'm just going to be really careful. I'm going to do what I want, but I'm not going to hurt anybody, and so we hold this grenade. But here's the big truth that we all know about grenades. You can't control where the shrapnel goes. You can't do it. You cannot manage your mess. You cannot control the damage that's going to happen based upon your choices. You can think it through. You can look at history. You can look at a friend that made the same choice. You can try to have some uh, measurability to it, but in the end, everyone stands back at a sin consequence and says, I didn't think it would end this way. So over the years, we've heard a lot of people, you and I both, say in a lot of creative ways, if I knew that I was going to hurt my family, I would not have done that. They say things like, if I knew I was going to scar the souls of my children, I would not have done that. They say, I've seen people uh, lose their dream job. They say, I've lost my family. And people lose their lives over holding a grenade that they thought that they could control. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says to them, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender heart instead. I love this line because what God is saying to you is he's saying, listen, I know what the problem is. It's a heart issue. I see it. I see it in you. It's a stony heart. It's a calloused place. It's a place in you that, that looks at a city that I, I love and says, there's no way I'm going there because I hate them. 
It's us being callous to the love of our family and saying, yeah, I've got all this wrapped up. What I'm ready for is a new adventure. I'm ready for something new and fresh to happen in my life, and therefore I'm going to make a choice to abandon these people, to make a decision that is about me, and and I'm going to let that thing run out and play out in my life. And it becomes this issue of having a stony, stubborn heart. And God says, I see it, but the good news is this. He can reach in with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he can change who we are. He says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a tender heart instead. So what do you do when you've been running? That's easy. Number three, you stop and you let God catch you. When I was a kid in elementary school, fifth, sixth grade, we used to play this game called Kiss Chase. It's the best game ever. I thank God for public school system. I was I was a very athletic kid, but something there was something about this game. When we played it, I became very slow and uncoordinated and often fell down. I couldn't get my feet to work right. The object of the game, you know, <laughs> I hope none of you have played this in a while. the girls would run around and, and, and chase the boy down and, and, and kiss him, and then the guy would turn around. And it, was, it was the greatest game ever, you know, turn around there, chase the girl and kiss her. You got like 25 straight minutes of this. It was amazing. And sometimes you just kind of, on this game, I mean, you're motivated by it, and so you just stopped and just let, let yourself be caught. You got tired of, of running around because being caught was better than, 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 than running. And so this is exactly what God is trying to say to us is, listen, I promise you, if you let me catch you, it's a whole lot, lot better than, than the running process. And so if Jonah at any point had looked over his shoulder He would have seen God pursuing him, ready to embrace him. And if we read the 48 verses of Jonah correctly, you'll see God's grace all over Jonah. He speaks to him. That's grace. To hear the voice of God. He protects him from death. That's grace. The fish was grace. It stopped him. It made him think. It made him pray. It made him reflect. And also, there's a lot of grace in that fish because the last time I checked, there's, when you get swallowed by a fish, there's only two ways out. Okay? Come on, somebody. That's grace right there, right? I mean, you're, if I got to choose one of those, I'm like, thank you, God. Right? And so here's where I want to end with this this morning. Watch this. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. I love this. This is one of the sweetest verses in Scripture. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I want that to sit in. Isn't that good? That's sweet. And the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Jonah, I love you. I'm I'm not mad at you. I'm not done with you. Some of you need to hear that in your guts this morning. I'm not mad at you. I love you thankful for you. I've got plans for you. 
Some of you think that God's forgotten about you, but he's speaking to you a second time. God was saying, I have an, another chance for you. And watch, watch the heart of Jonah here in, in chapter 2, verse 7, and then 9 and 10. It says, this is Jonah talking, when I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. And my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. I will never worship anyone but you. For how can I thank you enough for all you have done? I will surely fulfill my promises. For my deliverance comes from the Lord alone. And the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach. And it did. So let me end with this. If you're in this place and you're running from God, watch this. All you need to do to make it right with God this morning is to call out to him from that place in your life that only he can touch. And he will order whatever it is that has swallowed you to release you. Wherever your life is, whatever dark, dank place you have found yourself in, Whatever circumstance away from the Father, you find yourself feeding the pigs, thinking about a better way. There's another chance. And if you'll turn your heart to God, he'll, he'll order whatever it is that has you to release you, to set you free. It's because he loves us. So I want to speak over your heart today. I want you to bow your heads with me in this place. and. I just want to talk to your heart for a minute. You say, Kevin, I'm in this place.